Welcome to Morning Report Top Stories, a selection of news from RNZ's morning news programme. Otanga Te Whenua are protesting across 20 centres this morning in a national day of action with the backing of the Pāti Māori. Now they plan to disrupt traffic in multiple locations and are calling for the new government to honour Te Tiriti, respect the Māori language and keep the Māori Health Authority and ensure a smoke-free New Zealand. Lady Tūreti Moxon is taking part in the action. She says she's angry about plans to give prominence to English names for government departments and agencies, abolishing the Māori Health Authority and a review of all legislation that includes treaty principles, all of which she says are anti-Māori. She is on the line now. Uh, Kia ora, good morning to you. Good morning. Okay, Okay, this protest action, it's coming very quickly after a general election. Do you not believe that this government has a mandate to carry out the reforms it is promising? Well, it, it certainly has been given sovereignty, so so it has that. But what it doesn't have is the support of the people to whom a lot of those policies are aimed at. Uh, and, well, in many ways, we're just feeling as if we're being attacked every which way but loose, simply because a lot of their policies are, as you said, anti-Māori policies. Well, it's not, it's not, as, not as I said, it's as you said. Uh, I, I can't have a view on this. Uh, just the interviewer here. The issue of the... So the referendum that was... Uh, Christopher Luxon has ruled that out, and that was obviously an issue he acknowledged was divisive. But what I'm curious about is the suite of policies that the coalition agreement has in it. Were you surprised by the range of them, the amount of them, and what they added up to? Absolutely surprised. But the worst of it is, is it's putting us back 100 years. And, and it, it's taking us back to the days of colonisation. And what we're, we're saying is, no, we've come, we've worked too hard on our on race relations in our organize in, in our organizations, but in this country, uh, too hard to bring about a bit better partnership in terms of fertility um, with the government and with with all those partners that we now have very good relationships with, and and yet here we are with these sweeping suite of policies that are just that they're, they're archaic. Do you, sorry to interrupt, but you mentioned the word partnership, and this seems to be the crux for many. Are, are you, do you believe this government is not interested in a partnership anymore? Obviously, they want to remove the principles from, of the treaty from legislation, which obviously partnership, or the language being used which was akin to a partnership, is a very important principle. So do you believe that they don't want that pr- partnership anymore? Well, what I believe in is, is that they've decided to take back the power and control um, unto themselves. And from for, for a very long time, we've been working very closely, that's EWI have been working very closely, to bring about um, a partnership that actually has meaning and is not just, um, you know, uh, on paper. It has meaning, it, has, um, it includes Māori in decision-making and... In, um, in co-governance, in all of these things. And just let the swipe of the pen, they decide, nah, we're not having that anymore. 
but without even thinking about the consequences of what that actually means in terms of te tiriti or waitangi, which is the guarantee of tenoranga teretanga. And there's no guarantee of tenoranga teretanga in the policies mm. that they currently have. If I could, the likes of David Seymour and Winston Peters, who have, who, who have pushed for a lot of these reforms, they argue that this idea of partnership and that the principles of the treaty have evolved almost out of sight from the wider public. And what they are have pushed here, as they say, would be an expression of concerns that there hasn't been consultation, that there hasn't been a wider public debate about where New Zealand has gone in terms of its treaty relationship. What would you say to that? Well, you know, the Waitangi Tribunal has been around for about 50 years. And they have been the ones who have been the experts um, in the treaty and in the principles and in developing of or the development of the treaty um, jurisprudence, and so so here what what we're saying is after fifty years of all this um, institutional knowledge around the treaty of Waitangi, everybody else knows more about it than them, and that that's that's the issue. Because a lot of New Zealanders, unfortunately, do not know very much about it. And in actual fact, they'd like it to disappear And uh, as this government um, is, is trying to do now to make it mm. invisible. Well, it's not invisible. It's the founding document of this country. Again, they may argue, say, something like Fano Aura, which they insist can still exist under their model because it, it exists. There's no separate... Uh, governing structure in the sense like as like the Maori Health Authority, it's within the current system, but can provide for Maori clearly. Is that not sufficient? Well, I think that Chaka uh, order, for example, is an is an example of what New Zealand can look like. Maori looking after ourselves, Maori having control over our own health, Maori having having a say in what. What we would like to see, and what are needed, and what are the things that are needed in our communities, and when they take those those things away from us, that we have worked so hard to stand up and to put into legislation and to to get that real kind of um, partnership that we believe is what's necessary for us to be able to thrive in this country as equals, and to thrive in this country. And adjust, you know, that that's just and um, and care for for every citizen in this country. But what they did was they made it out to be race based, so they made it out to be something that was wrong. But in actual fact, um, it is something that that is needed in our country, mm. and it and it can work together on this. So, so what happens now? Uh, we've obviously had an election. The Māori Party has uh, done pretty well, but are you? is this a signal in some ways today that there is going to be a serious pushback from some sections of obviously many Māori who feel that, uh, I guess, democracy isn't, isn't going to give them the voice they need on this? Absolutely right, and I'm sure there will be more actions after this, and certainly the government has to hear it. Because as long as they keep pushing that kind of rhetoric and that kind of um, belief system, well, it's, it's actually, that's what's divisive. That is what's pulling this country apart. Because, because we have a special place in this country. 
And that's the reason why it's important that they get it right now at the beginning of their courtship, if you like, uh, get it right now. But at, at the moment, all they have done is marginalised Māori and made us the scapegoat for all these changes. Uh, Lady Tūriti, where are you at the moment? Are you, are you amongst protesters? And Is it Hamilton, is it? Have you got a reasonable yes. turnout there? What is the situation? Yes, well, um, they, they will be there, ready to rock, to come 7.30. And um, so they're all starting to gather now. I mean, there's lots of people going past who are beeping their horns and, and whatnot. So that will build um, over the next uh, few minutes, another 15 minutes or so and they should be all in the in place, ready to go. And are protesters committed to, you know, sticking to the rules and that the, the, the police have obviously laid down in terms of traffic disruptions and things? Yes, yes, we are, we are, we're actually going to be on the busiest um, uh, roundabouts and traffic lights and, and whatnot. So so we, we have a presence in nine different sites in the city today, so it, there will be a lot of beeping going on, I reckon. All right, I really appreciate your time. Kia ora, thank you very much for that. That is Lady Turuti Moxon there uh, taking part in that action in uh, Hamilton. Well, we're going to check in with our reporters at various points around the North Island now to see what impact uh, this protest action is having. Uh, first, we'll go to our reporter Taiha Molyneux uh, on Brigham Creek Road in the West Auckland suburb of Hobsonville. Uh, kia ora, Taiha. Can you tell me what you're seeing there? Um, what we've got at the moment, they're, they're, what they're calling is the kaibakakui, uh, preparing to sort of depart. But it looks like there's at least um, 100 to possibly 200 people that have come together. Uh, it's been a very respectful and positive atmosphere with a lot of music playing, a lot of pamariki and a lot of traffic and cars going past, waving out and supporting and and supporting and tooting. So this car koi is going to head onto the motorway, is it, towards yeah. central Auckland? Yeah, so they'll be leaving, they'll be heading onto the motorway from here and exiting at St Luke's, but they've just completed a safety briefing with all the people that have gathered and they're working alongside the police. So the police are sort of scattered throughout the, throughout the convoy. Okay, what are the safety protocols that they'll follow? Uh, they've basically told people to stay within the cars, keep to a certain speed limit, um, not to, I mean, basically not to put themselves in any danger, but it's looking like there's at least, there's 20 to 4, well, I'd say probably 40 cars now sort of starting to line up to exit the wash pod and go on to the, up to the roundabout to get onto the motorway. And the idea is that they go more slowly than yeah. usual? Yeah, like slowly, they're going to go more slowly, but not to the point where they're going to stop traffic is essentially what it is, but they're staying at the same speed. And have you had a chat to people there before they head out? What is what is the vibe? What are people telling you? Yeah, I've had a chat to a few people. The vibe the vibe has been positive. The vibe is very clear that they are standing up and making sure their voices are heard. And it's basically given a lot of Māori an opportunity and a lot of non-Māori, a lot of Pungata are here as well. I've spoken to two people who have come over from Holland for a holiday. They saw this on the news and they decided to come down and support it. Another man from Ireland I spoke to this morning, his name was Danny. He said he saw it on the news and came down to support it as well. So there's a real mix of cultures, there's a real mix of people, and it's, it's, a, very, it's, it's a very big whānau atmosphere, to be honest.
Okay, well, we appreciate that. Uh, we will uh, no doubt cross back to you for any further issues through the morning. Uh, that was our reporter, Taiha Molyneux, who is at uh, the Brigham Creek Road in West Auckland in the suburb of Hobsonville there, where the uh, Akakoi is getting ready to proceed onto the motorway towards uh, St Luke's in Auckland. Let's go to our reporter, Emma Stanford, now uh, on the corner of Greville Road and High Green Drive in Albany. That is on Auckland's North Shore. Kia ora, Emma. What are you seeing uh, where you you are. Ingrid. Yes, so uh, much as we've just heard here at Albany, uh, they are all queuing up out of this car park here at the Palmer's Garden Centre. They're heading up to the Fruit World on Hugh Green Drive where they've all been instructed to just line up uh, and get, get in a big line on the side of the road before they're going to go onto the motorway uh, here at Greville um, and drive about five kilometres an hour uh, to all the way down to the Harbour Bridge. So, I mean, that's usually a pretty busy motorway uh, at this time of the morning. Can you tell, is it, you know, looking more um, disrupted than usual or is it too early to say that yet? I wouldn't say it's any more disrupted as usual. It is obviously very slow as it would be on a Tuesday morning, um, but this will no doubt um, slow that traffic down even more so. So I guess any drivers out there um, perhaps just leave a little bit later if they can. And what people waving flags and, and tooting and that sort of thing, how they're drawing attention to themselves? Yeah, there's a lot of flags, a lot of signs, um, but everyone's been very peaceful. I mean, it started down here with a karakia this morning, um, and everybody's just been told their instructions, and yeah, just waving flags and signs. Um, everyone's been uh, on their best behaviour so far. And what about the police presence? Yeah, so we've had three police officers down here. The police will be um, dispersed within the group um, and they say that they're just down here for safety and I've obviously told everybody to make sure to stay in their cars. Um, Although they might only be going 5Ks an hour, they are still going on the motorway, so everyone needs to just stay in their cars and make sure not to be hanging uh, things out the windows of the car. And have you had a chance to talk to people there about what's drawn them in? Yes, so a lot of them have said, uh, quote, the stupid policies uh, that the government has brought in that they think are uh, quite oppressive towards Māori, um, including um, worsening uh, Māori inequalities in health, um, uplifting babies uh, to a non-Māori whānau, that's uh, with Oranga Tamariki, and the, the ban on the language across uh, many agencies, as we've just recently uh, seen with um, Waka Kotahi being instructed to call itself a transport agency in the first instance. So um, those kind of issues are really part of the key kaupapa down here today. Thank you for the update. That was our reporter Emma Stanford uh, on Auckland's North Shore just uh, watching as this protest gets underway. 24 minutes past seven. Now we're going to cross further down the North Island. R&D. We'll go to Tessa Guest who's on Aurora Terrace Bridge over the motorway in Wellington. Uh, Tessa, what is the situation there? Yes, well, in the last 20 minutes or so, the crowd has really started to fill out. There were about 100 people here earlier this morning before 7, and now I'd say there's comfortably 500 people. Uh, the, the road itself is not a main road. It's a, it's a side street off the terrace in Wellington, uh, but it sits over the motorway. And so the main action here, rather than disrupting traffic, is uh, uh, engaging with the motorway, the cars driving below. Uh, so there's a lot of tooting and a lot of uh, flags being blown and signs and kind of uh, communication between the cars going past and the huge crowd that's gathered here today. Any uh, politicians there? 
Rawiri Waititi, the co-leader of Te Pāti Māori, has arrived here this morning and he's been interacting with uh, crowd members here. And what are people saying to you? Have you had a chance to talk to any of the uh, protesters? Yeah, so it's been quite a positive environment, as was earlier said. It's very uh, peaceful and positive. Uh, but uh, from what I did speak to some of the protesters here, I spoke to one activist, Hohepa Thompson, who told me there is a lot of emotion both here and around the country. He said this is just the start of at least a three-year kind of string of, of protests, and it could go longer. He said they're really working towards Waitangi, which is just two months away, and he said to expect further protests there. He also said it's really frustrating to see politicians like David Seymour, who do Papa Māori, trying to redefine the principles of tetiriti, which scholars disagree with, kind of experts in tetiriti disagree with the, the decisions that are being made here. He said it's not just about Māori, he said it's about tanga tetiriti too, uh, non-Māori, so and, and, and in that sense there are a lot of people here today who are um, Māori and non-Māori, uh, similar to what was said before. Just finally, are you? is there any expectation that p- people would move to part, take the protest down to Parliament or are they going to stay there? I have spoken to a few people this morning who've said it's, it's purely um, uh, just a protest here, no march to Parliament today. But I'm sure in future you know, months we might be seeing that more of that kind of movement. And, no, and there's no, in terms of any road disruption, there's nothing happening there because they're on that overbridge? Yeah, just a few cars coming and going. Once they see the crowd, they've just turned around, but it's not hard to, to, to move around, so it's really been minimal. And just one police officer so far that I've seen this morning. Okay, thank you, Tessa. That's Tessa Guest on Aurora Terrace Bridge, which is over the top of the motorway uh, in Wellington. We'll go now to New Plymouth and our reporter, Robin Martin. Uh, good morning, Robin. What is happening there? Yeah, good morning, uh, Corin. Uh, I'm standing on a, on a on a strip of Courtney Street. That's uh, if you know New Plymouth, it's there's the one-way system, and we're up at the uh, yeah, the northern end of the CBD on, on Courtney Street, and we're at a big uh, car park here. There's the Cobb Co., a couple of gas stations, and over on the other side is uh, is Leach Street, and these are the two main arterial routes um, into town, especially uh, more the central uh, part of town. And the protesters gathered here in the car park. There was about, uh, I'd have say about 200, uh, 200, maybe a touch more earlier on, and now they've split... Um, and I'm on the Courtney Street side and another bunch of a similar number, so there'd be uh, 100, 150 stretched along here and the same deal on the other side. They're um, not aiming to stop traffic. They're making their point um, known from the side of the road and getting quite a few toots as people come by. Any police presence? I, uh, this morning, Corin, I haven't seen any police here so far. And have you had a chance to speak to anybody there? I mean, what is the general the general mood? Yeah, look, I've, I've spoken to the event organiser, but um, I spoke to a, spoke to a park out general, Nigel. He just uh, wanted to be here to uh, to stand stand as one against some of the the, the, move, the moves and the general kind of vibe of what's been going on in the last couple of weeks. He just want, wanted to stand with the protesters here because of that. Um, and I spoke to a young uh, uh, Māori gentleman uh, uh, earlier as well, and he essentially said the same thing about standing together, letting it be, be known that um, people are not happy with the, uh, some of the moves and some of the proposed moves from, by the new government. All right, thank you very much, uh, Robin Martin. There. Now we'll go back to our protesters a bit later. Uh, the protests a bit later in the program. Talk to our reporters who will stay on the scene.
Well, a number of councils are proposing massive double-digit rate rises as part of their long-term plan discussions. Mayors are warning that residents right across the country are likely to face the same pain or significant cuts to essential services. They're calling on the new government to start fixing what they call a broken funding model for councils. Ellen O'Dwyer reports. Hamilton City Council has proposed a 25.5% rate hike for the 2024-2025 to financial year as part of its draft long-term plan. Mayor Paula Southgate says the increase, which the council estimates is an extra $722 a year for the median ratepayer, will be tough for many. We know that New Zealand's going through a cost of living crisis at the moment, so we know they're already hurting. But I would think that most mayors would agree we don't want to run our city or our place backwards into the ground. Ms Southgate says the council is grappling with rising interest rates, inflation and looming water infrastructure costs like many councils across the country. She says the cupboard of council assets is almost empty and councillors decided against selling the Hamilton Airport shares they still own, leaving rates and debt as nearly the only options to fund services. To grow as fast as we are growing, to provide water services, to provide roads, to build the affordable housing that we need, we need the government to fix some of the broken funding models. Lower Hutt City Council is proposing a 16.5% rate increase for the next financial year. Mayor Campbell-Barry also says there's almost no savings left to make and the alternative is cuts to services and projects. In my mind that is a a very large rate increase uh, for our residents. We know that um, the way that our our rating system is done, uh, it can have a really big impact, particularly on uh, those people who are on fixed incomes, uh, on our, our retirees. Both councils will be consulting with the public on these rating proposals, with final decisions to be made next year. Local Government New Zealand President Sam Broughton expects many other councils to present double-digit rate rises in the coming weeks and months, including his own, Selwyn District Council. Six to seven percent increases, once considered high, are now considered low. Seen the needs for rates rises of this level since I've been um, elected since 2010. So uh, people's memories will go back uh, before that, but in my uh, time as an elected member for Selwyn uh, and now serving for local government New Zealand, uh, the, the pressures are very acute. He wants to see more funding tools for councils available soon, including fuel taxes and congestion charges, and to see details on city and regional deals with central government that National promised in the election. Prime Minister Christopher Luxon told a press conference on Friday this means getting specific about each region's infrastructure needs. That means that we actually have to enter into different arrangements, whether it be uh, between you know, how we actually agree who's going to fund it between central and local government. Uh, but then we lock up a 10-year programme, essentially, of infrastructure that actually will make a difference to people's daily lives, and we invest consistently in that over that 10-year period. Mr Luxon says local government minister Simeon Brown is embarking on a series of meetings with mayors, kicking off with Auckland's mayor Wayne Brown last Friday. But councils, and crucially ratepayers, may be concerned this won't ease their financial burdens quickly enough. That report from Alan O'Dwyer with a number of councils around the country proposing double-digit rate rises as part of their long-term plan discussions. 
Well, let's go to the COP28 Climate Summit now in Dubai, where the issue of compensation has dominated. Uh, Vulnerable countries that are already being hit by costly climate disasters are asking for billions uh, more through a newly formed disaster fund. Pledges to the fund so far total around $700 Overnight, the United Arab Emirates pledged to mobilise $270 in green financing by 2030 through its banks. But a new report says emerging markets and developing countries will need $2.4 trillion a year to invest uh, to cap emissions and adapt to the changes posed by climate change. We were joined now by Pacific Climate Warrior spokesperson Drew Slatter. Hi, Drew. Kia ora, good morning. Bulawanaka, Corinne. Thanks oh, for having me. Uh, nice to talk to you. All right, so this issue of compensation, the pledges, the money's starting to trickle in. Uh, is it enough? Um, to be honest, well, first off, you know, the operate, operate, sorry, getting the loss and damage fund operationalized is, you know, we counted as a major win for negotiators, our Pacific negotiators, um, a lot of the AOSIS negotiators. It's a major milestone getting this fund formalized. However, the pledges are just the drop in the ocean of what is required. One, um, for the loss and damage incurred by the climate crisis. And then two, to have our countries and our economies um, adapt to this crisis and then transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy. So one, while the fund being established is a great, it's a step in the right direction, um, the finance you know, needs to be scaled up and it needs to be accessible. So for Pacific nations, which are affected by rising sea levels and, and more extreme weather, a whole range of things, what would the money be able to do? So first and foremost, you know, a lot of Pacific countries have, are putting in place national adaptation plans. These are ways to adapt to the increasing impacts of the climate crisis. The Republic of the Marshall Islands just launched their national adaptation plan, but adaptation costs money. And it is an injustice that countries that have had the least to do with causing this crisis have to then shoulder the burden of adapting. So one, money would go to adaptation. Money would also go to compensate for the loss and damage incurred by the crisis. And this kind of loss and damage, it is it can be both economic, so, um, loss and damage to crops, to income, but it's also non-economic, so the loss of culture and of heritage that is incurred by climate disasters. Are Pacific voices being heard effectively at this COP summit? Um, well, you know, I don't want to... I'm, I'm not going to belittle the work of Pacific Island negotiators. You know, they're fighting long and hard hours on the inside. They've a lot of climate progress has happened because of Pacific negotiators. The Paris Agreement happened largely due to Pacific climate leadership. The loss and damage fund happened. This year, what we're calling for is a phase out of all fossil fuels. I like to hope that this is the year we make it happen. We had record temperatures this year. We broke records for heat. We can't break the Paris Agreement this year. So I do hope the Pacific voices are being heard both on the outside from civil society and on the inside with the negotiators. Uh, But that remains to be seen as to whether or not we get a phase out of all fossil Mm. fuels in the final text. Yes, the language in that final text, do you think that it may in fact end up being phased down as the sort of compromise language that people are talking about? And of course... Uh, we've had the issue of the COP president today having to sort of push back against suggestions of his his earlier comments. Uh, 
that there wasn't science backing up a phase out of fossil fuels. Yeah, you know, when when we did get the phase down in previous climate talks, that was heartbreaking for not just negotiators, but for the other Pacific Islanders present at COP and back in the islands. Um, but a phase down isn't swift enough to keep us below 1.5 degrees of heating. We need a complete phase out and not just phase out of unabated because, you know, the concept of carbon capture, that's not enough to keep us below 1.5. It needs to be a phase out of all coal, oil and gas. Um, COP cannot become a place for fossil fuel lobbying. Uh, the sheer amount of fossil fuel lobbyists present at these climate talks over the past few years has been concerning. Um, so we can't allow that to influence uh, the outcomes of this. Thank you, Drew. Drew Slater there from the Pacific Climate Warriors uh, Group. We're going to cross back to Parliament now, or Wellington, and our reporter who's been covering the protest in Wellington, Tessa. I understand that the protesters are, in fact, now on the move. Yes, kia ora, Corin. Uh, I'm here on the corner of the terrace and where Parliament is, and I'm just watching the crowd move past. They're, they're whooping. They've been singing Waiata. Uh, the decision was made about 10 minutes ago on the bridge where they were originally standing. It was a very, it seemed to be a last-minute decision. It didn't seem to be planned. Harawari Waititi, Te Pāti Māori co-leader, was, uh, made the announcement uh, very briefly, and people started to move. Uh, the crowd seems to have uh, risen, I think grown quite a lot, potentially to six or 700 now. Uh, and yeah, there, it's, there's just, uh, it's full of signs and, and noise and waiata. Mm. Is there a police presence there? I mean, is it blocking any roads? Yes, I have seen some police officers and cars blocking off uh, multiple side streets along the way, as well as uh, a main road now, uh, the, the main road where Parliament is as the crowd walks through. Uh, I think there will be some traffic disruption uh, for the next while now as people do cross that road. Um, don't know how long that will last. And is it your understanding that they're intending to what, head to the steps at Parliament? Yes, I think that's the case. Uh, the weather's cleared a bit, so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good day for walking. Uh, and yes, uh, I think they'll be filling out Parliament grounds uh, in a matter of minutes. All right, Tessa, we may come back to you on that one. That's Tessa Guest there, who is covering the protest in Wellington. You've been listening to Morning Report Top Stories. 